Hello, and welcome to the Caleb Geary Podcast, where yours truly shares his personal devotional thoughts on God's Word. Now, I'll be totally honest, I tried to think of a clever name for this podcast, but I'm really not that creative, and I figured it would just be a whole lot easier for those that listen, if I get any listeners, um, to just remember my name. Um, instead of some uh, brand name that I came up with on the spot. It also doesn't help that every idea that I had uh, was already taken. Because when you have a book that contains 66 books, and you have millions of followers of said book, the Bible, um... You can only be so creative without looking up online and finding, oh, crap, <laughs> somebody already took this name. Uh, so, fortunately, there's not many Caleb Geary's, and I didn't find any Caleb Geary podcast, so uh, this is what we get. <laughs> so, um, if you have any creative names, um, please don't tell me, because then I will become a nervous wreck and want to change it when I've already submitted this and made a podcast. So please don't tell me your podcast ideas. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah, this podcast is about is, um, you know, it's going to be a developing podcast. I'll be honest with you. So it, I'm kind of excited for anyone here that uh, is going to be listening at the very beginning. Um, because, this podcast is probably going to change a lot. Um, my uh, goal, though, for those that listen, is that, honestly, I just love God's Word. I do. A lot. And I fall more in love with it every day. Um, and I love studying it. Um, and not just for the sake of studying it, for like intellectual gain. Um, that's not why I enjoy it. I actually enjoy it um, because of just the deep wisdom and devotional insight that the Holy Spirit has put into this incredible book that we have, the living word of God. And I just love sharing it with people. I do. I just love it so much. Like that is my form of worship. And so I figured what better way to do that than to just hop aboard the trend and just do a podcast. And so we'll see where God takes it as he grows me. Um, I'm currently in school. I'm actually at Bethlehem College and Seminary, currently getting my theology degree and probably will continue on with their seminary program. And um, I'm actually spreading it out, so I won't be graduating for a while because um, I, I do a lot. Sorry, that sounded really boastful. No, like I like being with people. I love uh, discipling people and you know, I had two options. It was either I don't disciple people, I don't connect with people, and I just do school full time, or I take a little step back on the amount of school I do, and and I can still connect with people and worship with people, pray with people, and counsel and disciple people. Um, and I just thought that was a better option because, um in my view, and I've shared this with people in my own life, um, orthodoxy should never get in the way of orthopraxy. Uh, in other words, like studying God's word should never get in the way of living out God's word. 
So I found that really weird to just, I actually do find that weird with some people where they do just go to school, go to seminary and they get all this education, spend all this money. Um, and they, they're not putting it to good use, you know, like right away. I just find that so odd. I just, it just weirds me out. And so, um, so actually this is an outlet. Sorry, I'm, I, I tend to ramble and I apologize. So this podcast is going to be an outlet for me and uh, I just love doing this. I love talking about God's word and I, um, for those that listen, I'm, I'm, I hope that this is, um, very spiritually edifying for you, that it's helpful for you, that this will be spiritual food that you can digest and develop. And honestly, my, my goal is that through this, that you all will fall uh, more in love with Jesus um, honestly, and if that doesn't happen, uh, let me know and I will stop. So, um, without further ado, let's start with episode one. And so episode one, I figured it would just be appropriate to start with Genesis. So, you know, and I, I prayed a lot over the first three chapters of Genesis. I think a lot of people have. Um, so I'm not like unique in that by any means. Obviously, it's been a very contested book. Um, Genesis itself, especially those first three chapters, especially just the first chapter alone. Um, my my goal today isn't to come at this from like a, a defense of like the Christian faith against like evolution or atheism. Um, that's just not the point of this podcast. I do have my personal convictions on that with uh, Genesis, like creationism uh, versus evolution. Um, but that's really what I don't care about right now. I, I just don't. Um, maybe for another time, I can come at it from a more apologetic, like a defense of the faith. But um, that wasn't even the point why God inspired who I believe Moses to write Genesis. It wasn't to fight against the Richard Dawkins of, uh, you know, like 3,500 years ago. That's, that wasn't the point of writing this book. It wasn't, there wasn't like a growing sense of atheism, uh, back in, you know, 14, 1500 BC. No. Um, there's a deeper sense to why this was written. And, um, as I was reading through, uh, Genesis one through three, um, I couldn't help but notice something, you know, one of the things this year I've been trying to focus a lot on is two things. One, I want to see Christ in all the scripture that I read because it's all about Christ. It should be about Christ it was the, the scriptures were written for us on the side of the cross. Um, but I've also wanted to see the fatherhood of God, you know, we, we serve a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and I also want to see the fatherhood of, of God as well in, in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, because um, a lot of people I know in this day and age, especially a lot of modern um, Christians, they don't really know how to wrap their heads around the Old Testament with how um, harsh it can be at times. Or how it appears to be harsh to us because we don't have the lens of 
God, you know, so we don't fully understand his righteousness. And sometimes it does look just really brutal to us. And so, and I, I've had a quest that I've just been praying for the Holy Spirit to just illuminate, to really shed light on the text of the Old Testament. I want to see the fatherhood of God. I want to see that endearment, you know, that he is our father. He is our father who are in heaven. And we say that all the time, the Lord's prayer, but you know, do we sincerely mean that though? Like, do we actually genuinely um, mean that when we say our father who are in heaven? And so that's been my quest this last year is to pursue the fatherhood of God. And, um, I think we see it right away. Actually, we see it instantly in the first three chapters. So I am going to be reading out of the ESV. That's just what I typically read. Um, Extra spiritual version. No, I'm just kidding. English standard version. I really don't care. You can read whatever you want. Just like, please don't read like the passion translation. Just stay away from that. (laughs) Sorry. Um, So right away, I'll just tell you what I, what I think right away in like the first three chapters, what I see. I see a dad preparing his home for the kid that he's about to have. Think about this. So first one in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what he does right away. And then verse three says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then verse five, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And, um, creates all that. And then at verse eight, and there was evening and there was morning the second day, um, making everything in verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Um, and he calls them seas. That's in verse 10, verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit. Um, and in verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation verse 13. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. You have all this preparation. It keeps going on in verse 14 and 15 and 16, creating an expanse of heaven to separate the day from the night and let them be signs for seasons and for days and years. And let in verse 15, and let the lights be in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And so God made the two great lights, which is the sun and the stars. So... We have all this preparation, and it keeps going. Verse 20, water swarm with swarms of living creatures. And verse 21, God created great sea creatures. And then he creates them, and then he even tells the creatures in verse 22, be fruitful and multiply. And verse 23, and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Verse 24, and God said, let bring forth living creatures according to the kind livestock, the things on the ground, not in the, the ocean in the previous versions. And the seas, but now we're talking about land. Verse 25, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind. Um, and God saw that it was good. Now, I just want to kind of like read through that. So we have a lot happening, right? We have the heavens and the earth. He creates light. He creates the heavens. And he creates the waters. He creates dry land vegetation, creatures in the seas, creatures on the land, creates the moon and the stars, it creates the sun, 
Now, one thing um, that I, I really enjoy in the ESV is it continually says, and God said, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of waters. And God said, let the waters under the sevens be gathered together into one place. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. So you have this continual, and there's so many more. I'm just picking out kind of some of the main ones. But you have this continual, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. Then we get to verse 26, and we see a huge distinction. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the first 25 verses, God is creating the earth. He is preparing it. He's preparing it for Adam and Eve. I can't help but think that, you know, this is like a parent, like expecting a child, you know. So I'm married. Um, I don't have any kids yet. Um, that might be a while for that. But for my friends that I do know that have kids or are expecting there is this excitement, you know, to prepare the room, to prepare the home, to get it together in preparation to have this child, you know, because that's another thing Like God didn't just like, just willy nilly, <laughs> just decide, you know what, I want uh, to create an, a creature made after my image. Like, no, 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 no. Like, God is very intentional. This was not an accident at all this is intentional he knew that he was going to create adam and eve he knew that and we have these first 25 verses where he's like preparing a home for them and it's going to be for them like it's a gift it's a present because he tells them in verse 28 and god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the earth and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth and God said in verse 29, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. This is all for them. In verse 30, And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. This is all for Adam and Eve. Like God created it and he's, you know, he's sovereign. He's powerful. He rules overall. But the initial creation story was, this was for his children. It was for his kids. It was for Adam and Eve. This is who it was for initially. Obviously we know what happens in chapter three and we'll get there. But this is the fatherhood of God. A parent preparing a home for his children. He's expecting, he knows he's going to have kids. So he prepares a home. He gets it all in order. You know? 
prepares the room, gets a pet dog, you know, because the kids will love that. Just think about that, you know, like all these creatures that he creates that he gives dominion over to rule over um, for Adam and Eve. Um, he gets the pet dog. <laughs> and it's how selfless is that? Like God creates all these things out of thin air with the power of his voice. And just that selfless love to just give it away. I don't understand that yet um, because, like I said, I I don't have kids yet. And that'll actually be really exciting to look back at this podcast when I do. And my thoughts on this once I have kids to be able to really kind of experience deeper what I'm saying right now about the selflessness of a father for their child. Have all this incredible stuff, everything, and just, you know what? I want my kids to have it. I, I worked for it. I'm... I mean, in God's eyes, I made it. I, I did all the legwork. And now I want my children to have it. That's powerful to me. That's not the abusive God, the domineering God that uh, um, today's day and age likes to talk about, um, especially in my age group. I'm 25. I know I hear a lot about the harshness of God, but I don't know about you, but I see in the first chapter and just uh, in the first 30 verses, I, I see a, a God that wanted to create something incredible for his children and he wanted to give it to them and he dwells with them. They're in the garden together. And we all know about that. The garden of Eden. It doesn't sound like a, a mean, detached, uh, domineering supreme being. He's there with them. Um, you know, there's actually a lot of study that uh, the garden is symbolic to the, the tabernacle that was built in Exodus and then uh, the temple that was built by Solomon. That is the temple and tabernacle in the very center in the Holy of Holies, that is where God dwelt. We had the Ark of the Covenant, and in that you had the law, and that is where the priest would enter, and only he could enter, no one else could enter, on behalf of the people, that is where God dwelt. Now, we have a center of the garden as well. We have the Tree of Life is in the middle of the garden. That's in um, chapter 2, verse 9. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and so was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is the center. That is where God dwelled. And guess what? Adam and Eve could enter there. That's vulnerability, if you ask me. That's that, that's a that's a father. That, that's a genuine father. A, a genuine father, a sincere father, is vulnerable to his kids. Um, at least in my experience, like my dad. Um, I'll be honest. I'm pretty emotional, and I really get that from my dad. He is such a transparent man. But I'll be honest. I look up to that. I admire that. Um, my father has um, struggled with bipolar, schizophrenic bipolar, and he has been nothing short of open and vulnerable 
And he hasn't sealed off that area of his life to his children, my brother and I, and now my wife and my brother's fiance. He has been open about that. And not only to us has he been open about that, he has been open about that to just about every single person that has entered my parents' home. I see that in the garden with God, this, this fatherhood, this endearing fatherhood where he gives everything to his children. He creates it all and he's like, I don't want to have it. I want you to have it. You're my children. I love you dearly. I want you to have it. Uh, and not only that, I it's not this like some parents, you know, where they they'll like give their kids a whole bunch of stuff and they're like, now stay away from me. Right. I I bought your love. You know, I bought you gifts, presents, especially this time of year. It's the holidays, Christmas time, buying gifts. And some parents will just kind of buy as a, a way to just kind of get the kids to go away from them, you know, like buying tablets so that the kids can be preoccupied with the tablet and not having the enjoyment of love from the parents. Now, God is totally different than human love because not only does he give everything, I'm going to keep saying it, not only does he give everything to his children out of selfless love, he gives himself. Remember that. He doesn't just give everything to his children. He gives himself to his children. Adam and Eve dwell in the garden in the center area, the Holy of Holies, before it was called the Holy of Holies. That's the midst of the garden where God dwelled. And he was there with his children. That's love. That's fatherhood. And obviously we have a, a sad turn to the story because kids mess up. <laughs> you know, uh, Adam and Eve, they, they done goofed. Uh, pretty hardcore. Um, you know, I want to I wanna address this for a second. Um, because some people, sometimes, and maybe you're wondering, if, if you're one of my two listeners, <laughs> you're probably wondering, uh, why was Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden for what they did? And this is actually one of the things that is center of the gospel. This is why Jesus cares about the heart. He doesn't care so much about the action. He cares about the heart behind the action. This is why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus can say, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's the heart behind it. And so we need to understand this truth first. God doesn't care about the action so much as he cares about the heart behind the action. And this is the same with love. I've been talking to my wife about this, especially Christmas time. You know, gifts. Are you buying out of sincere love for that person? Or are you buying out of a cultural obligation? Because only one of those is love. So that's... Well, center point of the gospel is it cuts through the actions of everything we do and it goes right to the heart. So back to what I was saying about maybe someone wondering is wondering, maybe you're wondering why didn't God kick Adam and Eve out of the garden? Because they only just ate a fruit. I'm going to let one of my favorite now passed away theologians, R.C. Sproul, answer this question. This was 
uh, question asked actually a couple of years ago, and I just thought his response was phenomenal. So let's just listen to that quickly. Since God is slow to anger and patient, then why, when man first sinned, was his wrath and punishment so severe and long-lasting? That God's punishment for Adam was so severe. This creature from the dirt <laughs> defied the everlasting holy God. After that, God had said, the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. And instead of dying, Thanatos, that day, he lived another day and was clothed in his nakedness by pure grace and had the consequences of a curse applied for quite some time. But the worst curse would come upon the one who seduced him, whose head would be crushed by the seed of the woman. And the punishment was too severe? What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. And we don't know who we are. The question is, the question is, why wasn't it infinitely more severe? If we have any understanding of our sin and any understanding of who God is, that's the question, isn't it? I don't even want to talk. <laughs> I don't even know what to say after that. I'll be honest. Like, it's just so good. <laughs> it's just so good. You know, even in, let me apply some of like kind of what I'm saying to R.C. Sproul's answer. Because even in his response, you have the fatherhood of God present. Because, again, what we're talking about, what I was saying before, it's about the heart. It was a deep offense to God what was done. Because after everything God did for Adam and Eve, their heart was to reject his holy commands anyways. That's the heart of it. And that's the heart of any other sin. It is to reject God's desire and will. This could be eating a fruit that you're told not to. This could be also, though, literally murdering somebody. It's the same heart behind both, because both of them are defying perfection, God's holy perfection. But even in that, that's something I love about R.C. Sproul. He's huge on the holiness of God. So if you ever want to dive more into that, check him out. He is phenomenal. For that um but what i'm focusing on now is god's fatherhood which ties into his holiness because also in genesis like like rc was saying the curse is applied they ate from the fruit but even then he extends the curse out because he does say in genesis 2 that you will surely die if you eat this fruit now, they do die, but still love and grace is given with the punishment. 
and they didn't die instantly. I, I, I honestly, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I'll kind of look it up later. But Adam lived for an exceedingly long time because this was also before God put the cap of 120 years. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Adam lived somewhere to be around 600 years. Hold on, let's look it up here. I got it. It is in um, verse. No, 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 no. It is in Genesis chapter 5 and then verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image named Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. Thus, this is verse 5. Thus all the days at, ugh, sorry. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. We don't even live anywhere near that long. Look at that. Not, almost a millennium. I don't know about you, but that still sounds like a father who still loves his children, even after applying this curse. And also, one of the things I think of with this, because again, I'm going to go back to the fatherhood analogy. Like a parent preparing a home, he gets the home together, he has his children, he is excited, he prepared all the stuff, he gets the pet, the pet dog, the place all in order, the house in order to to give to his children, to, to enjoy their time there, he gives his entire self to that children. Um, And then the kids mess it up, and I just think like, you know, like a kid that just wrecks and trashes a room and the parent walks in and is like, what have you done? What did you just do? And uh, I mean, we do see that right there in Genesis chapter three. What do we have um, in verse eight? And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And then God calls out verse nine, where are you? And Adam responds, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid I was naked and hid myself. And then God says in verse 11, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then in verse 12, Adam says, Well, Eve is the one who gave me the fruit. You know, just totally shifts the blame on Eve. Just, just lame. Um, and then verse 13, the Lord God says to the woman, What is this that you have done? And just think of this scenario like it's like a parent walking in and seeing his kids like just trash something like what have you done why did you do this and the kids are just like oh they did it they did it because you got adam who blames eve actually blames god because he actually says in verse 12 well the woman who you gave me to be with me she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. What kind of shift blaming is that? Not only blaming Eve, but blaming God. Well, you're the one that gave this woman to me. And then when God looks at the woman, woman says, at the end of verse 13, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay, come on. How is that not like kids? You know, when a parent catches kids in the act. Well, they started it. Well, they It was their fault. Total blame shifting. How can you not see this in a, a parental view the situation so 
Here's what we got so far. We have God preparing a home. The world <laughs> prepares it for his kids, Adam and Eve. Gets it all together in the first 25 verses. Verse 26, the kids show up. Let's make man in our image. We'll make them male and female. Adam and Eve are made. And he shares his whole house, the world. He shares it with his kids. Shares himself with the kids. Doesn't hold any part of himself away from his children. And the kids done goof. And God does have to separate. As he's like, what have you done? You have hurt me. You have offended me. But even then, he still applies his love and grace. Because this curse, it extends for a long time. And also, chapter 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Remember, they were, they were naked. We didn't really cover that because like, we could spend hours on these first three chapters and I'm kind of just doing an overview of some spiritual insight into the fatherhood of God. But even then he kicks them out, but he, they don't die right away. He extends the curse for a very long time. Adam lived for almost a thousand years. Verse 21, God gave them garments of skin. So God killed. And I guess just could say he skinned an animal. And then gave those skins and he clothed them because now they're out of the garden. They're now in the wilderness. They are cold. Because remember, they are naked. So even though they no longer have the full protection of God being in the garden with him in the Holy of Holies and his presence fully, he still takes care of them. You still see the fatherhood of God even when applying his justice. Now, where do we go from here? Right? It's because we have now dissected the fatherhood of God in the first three chapters. But now, where's Christ in all this? Well, Christ is the future child that God's going to have. It's the son of God. So, the first kids, they mess it up. They done goofed. <laughs> the house is out of order. They put crayon all over the wall. They painted everything wrong color. They started like an electrical outlet on fire. You get the picture of what I'm trying to say here. Um, so what is God's plan? He has to punish his kids, obviously. But he wants to make things right. So what does he do? Has another kid. And this kid is the perfect kid. Because this kid is also truly God. It is Jesus. It is the perfect kid who's going to set the house back in order. That's love, man. It doesn't just leave them where they're at. You know, that's mercy. That's love. That's fatherhood. You know, to not just fully kick the kids out. He wants to bring them back. Because we're, we're Adam and Eve's offspring. He wants to bring us back, man. He doesn't just want to leave us out even though our parents caused the offense and by association and through genetics we've also been touched with sin and so we also continually ruin the house and we set it out of order. But our Father loves us so much that Romans 5.8, while we're sinners, 
Christ died for us. The Father gave his son for us to set things right. And not only to, to set the, the house in order from the sense of creation, which is still going to happen, and that's in Revelations with the new heavens and new earth, and that is a whole other scary topic that I don't feel um, that I am responsible at all to be able to touch. But, remember what I was saying earlier, remember about intimacy, vulnerability, being in the holy, holy is in the middle of the garden with God, just as Adam and Eve were. Uh, we have that again. We have that through Christ. We have that through the Holy Spirit. We've been given a new heart. And that it says in Ezekiel chapter 36, puts a new heart in us so we can live out his commands so that we can obey when he asks us to proverbially not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but to follow him and to love him and to cherish him. He gives us that spirit so that we can abide in him. The Holy of Holies, the garden now lives in us and he is there with us. So things are back in order. Not fully though, right? That's what the book of Revelation is all about. Not fully back in order, but it's pretty darn close. And, well, I can keep going on about this. Um, I think this is a good place to close uh, for our first podcast together about the fatherhood of God in the first three chapters of Genesis. So I just want to say um, thank you for listening. I will try to upload these at least weekly or bi-weekly we're still figuring this out just kind of being led by the spirit rolling with it so uh, thanks for listening